Today on Telling the Truth, Jill Briscoe explores ways you can develop intimacy, encourage your spouse, and have a marriage that really works. But first, the generosity of friends like you keeps broadcasts like this one going out around the world so you and others can experience life through the biblical teaching and resources of Telling the Truth. As thanks for your gift today, we'll send you Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, an insightful four-message series from Jill Briscoe about how you can build a long-lasting and fulfilling marriage founded on God's Word. So call today to request yours, 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Jill with her message, Develop Intimacy and Encourage Each Other. I have been delighted to do this series because more and more we're finding that people need help with their marriages and things are not as they used to be. Most people have grown up now in America in a home where they have not seen any models except a model perhaps of one mom or one dad looking after them. So they haven't figured out how a man treats a woman or how a woman treats a man or how the parents treat the children. And what the world needs, I believe, more than anything else, is for Christian families to open their homes to the neighborhood, to the kids, just to let them be there and let them see that there is something different about this home. And the something different is the fact that we love and serve the Lord Jesus. Now, we've been talking about marriage mattering to God. I've been talking about differences, celebrating the differences, how that differences can cause divorces unless we realize differences are part of God's plan and that opposites attract. And then, yes, they begin to irritate as soon as you've got married. But the idea is that we celebrate the differences and we fill up in the other that which is lacking in yourself so that the two Different people become one whole person. And this is God's idea. This is God's intent. Then the last talk I gave was on love. What is real love? And how does real love behave? And I took apart 1 Corinthians 13, the verses 4 through 6. Love is very patient. Love is very kind. It doesn't boast. It's not angry, not easily angered, etc., etc. And talked about each of them and how... We have Jesus. If we didn't have Jesus living in our hearts, it would be impossible to love each other as we're meant to love them because God is love and you can't love people without the God of love. You can love them up to a point because we're made in his image. We can love them humanly, phileo them, but we cannot agape them. We cannot go beyond our selfishness. We cannot really be long-suffering really long-suffering. Our patience runs out, our people patience, our, our human patience. What we need is the love of God fueling our human loves. And that's what I talked about last time. And now in this last session, I'm going to talk about developing intimacy and encouraging each other. Intimacy on all levels. Spiritual intimacy with each other, social intimacy, and sexual intimacy with each other. What we need to do is explain ourselves to our partner with words, with actions. We need to have an environment where that can happen socially, sexually, spiritually. 
And then the idea is that we learn to take the risk of letting the other person know who we really are. And that's not as easy as you think. We've been married years, and it's still a struggle sometimes for me really to tell my husband what I'm feeling for all sorts of reasons. I'm thinking, well, what will he think of what I'm thinking? Or what will he feel? Would he be disappointed in me if I tell him this is how I'm feeling or this is what I think? And so all sorts of things go into it, and you can be practicing and going on like this for years and years and years, and yet it's always a discipline to be able to say to your partner, I'm a mirror, there's nothing hidden, you can look in my life, and I just want everything to be absolutely open before you. But that is the level that marriage is meant to be taking you to. Now, the reason that we don't do that is because many of us have been hurt We've been in and out of relationships. Perhaps this is your second marriage. And you've been hurt because you did disclose yourself. You did trust the other person to know things about you that you could hardly tell anybody else in your life. And they rejected you or it caused a problem or they walked out on you, whatever. And so you say, well, once burned, I'm not going to do that again. There are going to be parts of my life that I keep absolutely secret until the day that I die. Now let's talk a little bit about that. At home in England years and years ago, I remember going to a farm wedding and a farmer was asked to give a word to the newly married couple and in a broad accent, which I won't use because you wouldn't understand it, he said, you never know what you've got until you've got them home and the door shut. <laughs> I thought that was a bit crude at the time, but it was true. You never know what you've got until you've got them home and the door shut after the wedding. And then this familiar stranger becomes the one that you get to know. But my generation, those were the days when you waited till you got them home and the door shut before you figured it out. This generation, of course, doesn't wait sexually until they're home and they've got the door shut. Maybe they've lived together, maybe you've lived together before you got married. And in Europe specifically, this is absolutely accepted right across the board now. Well, it's better to really make sure that you really know each other and you really want to be married. And so living together is a good idea. It's also a good idea, we're told, before marriage because it helps financially. And that's the reason we hear mostly in this church as couples come into the church and we find that they want to be married but they are living together. And so we in this church ask them to separate during the period of preparation. And often they'll say, but we can't afford to do that. One of the reasons we're living together is because of the money. But in my day and age, and I have this huge nostalgia when I do talks like this, for my day and age, I really do. It's not just because I'm getting old, but there's a huge nostalgia. I, I fished out a poem that I got out of my day and age. It's about old-fashioned values. The bride bent with age leaned over her cane, her steps so uncertain needed guiding, while down the church aisle with a wan, toothless smile, the groom in a wheelchair came gliding. And who is this elderly couple thus wed? You'll find when you've quickly explored it that this is that rare, most unusual pair who waited till they could afford it. <laughs> I like that. I really do. 
So they couldn't afford to get married. So what did they do? Move in with each other because it was financially able to, to happen if they did? No, no. They waited until he was in a wheelchair and she was toothless. This is that rare, most unusual pair who waited till they could afford it. Well, maybe it was the Middle Ages when I was growing up. But we waited till the knot was tied to get each, to know each other on all levels. Nowadays, there's not a knot. That's the problem. Every marriage needs an environment where each partner can explain how they think and feel without fear of judgment. That's what Jill Briscoe is talking about today on Telling the Truth. And she has more for you in just a moment. But first, here's a note from an online listener who writes, I have found your teaching to be accurate, encouraging, and enlightening. Thank you. What a blessing to hear these words of encouragement about this ministry. That's the kind of encouragement your support today will bring to more people around the world as you help share the teaching and resources of telling the truth so others can experience life in Christ. And we'd like to encourage you this month with a wonderful four-message series from Jill Briscoe called Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, as well as a beautiful printed Bible verse about marriage. In her series, Jill Briscoe teaches eight biblical keys to a healthy, life-giving marriage and shares her own insights from her 60 years of marriage to Stuart. We'll send you eight things that make a marriage work and the Bible verse print as thanks for your gift today to help more people experience life in Christ through the teaching resources of telling the truth. Your support enables countless people across the globe to stand strong in the unchanging truth of Scripture. And we're so grateful for friends like you. Request your copy of Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work when you call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now let's rejoin the program as Jill continues her message, develop intimacy, and encourage each other. Now, spiritual disclosure first. Spiritual intimacy is what is going to help you socially and sexually. If you are healthy spiritually, you will be healthier sexually and socially. And so what I'm always doing is saying to women who are struggling in a marriage, whose marriage is tough and difficult and is not going the right way and they're miserable, for some reason or other, let's work on the spiritual side of this because they, I, that's what I can do for you. I can't mend your marriage. I can't help you. You're probably going to need a marriage counselor to do that. But what I can do is to figure out where you are spiritually. Are you a believer? That's my first question. Do you really know Jesus? Are you sure he's in your heart and soul and life? Are you a believing Christian? And when I've got that sorted out, if they're not, then I lead them to Christ. If they are, I say, great. Now, how are you doing as a Christian? How is your devotional health? How is your prayer life? How is your life in the Word of God, which is the ultimate book about marriage, among other things? How is your health? It stems from spirituality. The more you love Jesus, the more you love your husband. Let me tell you. The more you love Jesus the more you'll know how to love your husband. The greatest need of every human being is to 
be loved and to be able to love, to give and receive love. Ask any psychologist that isn't even a believer about that. How does that happen? Well, God is love, 1 John 1.4. So if he is in our hearts, for this we have Jesus. You can read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6 then. Jesus is very patient. Jesus is very kind. Jesus doesn't boast. Jesus isn't proud. Jesus says he's sorry. Jesus knows how to forgive. Jesus is love. And so for this I have Jesus. So when I run out of my love, for this I have him. And so spirituality matters most. And perhaps I can give you a little practical picture here. Think of a wheel with a center, a hub, and spokes, and a rim. That's the Christian life. And the hub, the center, is Christ. He's Lord. He has to be in the center of your life. Maybe he's not in the center of your husband's life yet, or your children's life yet. That's irrelevant. We're starting with you. That's where you start. You're only responsible for your response and reactions, not anybody else's. So here we are. Is Christ your Savior? Is Christ your Lord? That's where you begin. The hub of your Christian life. The center of your life is God. Secondly, the spokes. One spoke is the Bible. Get some Scripturian notes that give you a little piece of the Bible to read every day. Uh, sign up for a course so that it, in three years you go all the way through the Bible, just reading a little tiny bit a day, and, and leaflets and books to help you do that. Are you learning to be a woman of the Word? The better you know your Bible, the better wife you'll be. Now, you say, where's the, there's a gap. No, there isn't a gap, because you're going to be more like God. And the more godly, godlike you are, the more your husband's going to love you. Makes sense. Witness. Are you sharing your faith with other people? The more you grow as a Christian in this regard, the better it will be. For example, do you know how to lead your children to Christ? Do you know how that looks? Do you know what to say? Judy and I, my daughter and I, wrote a book called I Caught a Little Big Fish, because around your feet you've got a lot of big fish. Little big fish. That's what they are. The potential of your children is incredible. Now, don't let anybody rob you, mom, of the joy of leading your own children to Christ. Why should you let the Sunday school teacher do that or anybody else? That's yours. That's part of being a Christian mom. Do you know how to do that? I remember Judy leading her to Christ at four. She came up to my baking board and said, if I ask Jesus into my heart, will he make me put all my toys away? And I said, no, but I will. <laughs> and Jesus won't you to do what mommy says. And so off she went and said, well, I won't then. And about 20 minutes she came back and said, I'll put my toys away. That was quite a statement for a four-year-old. What she was saying is, I'll be obedient. I'll be a good little girl. I will do what my mommy says. She got it that becoming a Christian isn't just reading what God says you should do in the Bible, but it's doing it, being obedient to it. And so I took her little hand and I led her into the room and we knelt down and I said, I'll pray a prayer and you pray it after mommy and I'm sorry, Jesus, that I've sinned, that I'm a naughty little girl like mommy's a naughty big mommy and everybody in the world's naughty big people. And I want you to Forgive me, and I'm sorry I'm naughty, and I, I, don't, I want to stop being naughty, so please come into my heart and be my savior. Simple as that. Judy Briscoe Gulls came to Christ, and I caught a little big fish that day. I had absolutely no conception that she'd go on to get her PhD and end up teaching in a seminary and all of that. No conception. But you have no conception. Who is round your feet? Little big fish. 
And so the more you know the Lord and the more you know the skills in, in sharing your faith, the better mom you'll be and the better wife you'll be. And then, of course, there's prayer. Don't lean on your husband too hard to be, quote, the spiritual leader of your family if he's a young believer or he's struggling a bit. Most men do not enjoy praying aloud with their wife. Most men. I have an article here from a psychiatrist who is a wonderful man. He runs a place for clergy who are burned out or whose marriages are in problems. And he has this marvelous place called Marble Retreat up in the mountains. And he and a staff, professional staff, try to help returning missionaries who have had trauma abroad or in their lives, also pastors and their wives. So here he is, and here's his wonderful wife, Melissa, doing all this marvelous work, saving marriages, saving ministries, being a blessing. And he gets our magazine just between us, and he, he gives it to people because it's for ministry wives, it's for pastor's wives. And so we asked him to write an article for us. And he said, what do you want me to write? And I said, anything you'd like to. And do you know what he wrote? Why I won't pray with my wife. Now, here's the expert, right? Even pastors and their wives struggle. Even pastors struggle with praying with their wife. One of the things he said, a factor is the dwarf, spiritual dwarf syndrome. Many ministers believe often accurately that their spouse is a spiritual giant compared to them. They feel dwarfed by her deep faith. Possibly your husband feels the same. Her quietly committed prayer life shines compared to his hasty, often desperate prayers fired off on the run. The word seems to speak to her. Ages have passed since he has even read the scriptures to find God's message for himself, and she wants her to be his spiritual leader. Now this might shock you, but pastors and wives are just men and women struggling like we are to find spiritual intimacy. So he goes on about common areas of disagreement and the problem. I used to believe Melissa wanted me to be something I'm not. She would talk about her desire for me to be more of a spiritual leader for her. That sounded pretty overwhelming to me. So rather than risk embarrassment or failure, I'd avoid even trying. When I finally told her what I thought she, she craved, she was flabbergasted. I'll never forget the relief I felt when she said, Oh, that's not what I want. I just want a spiritual companion, not a leader. And that could be a life-changing thing for some of you. That's what we mean. Take that spiritual leader out of your vocabulary and your mind. What you need and want is a spiritual companion. And that might be a place where your husband says, okay, I can go for that. That's a place spiritually that I don't feel dwarfed or intimidated by what he perceives is your being further along in the faith than he is. Spiritual companionship. If you can verbalize that to him, I want a spiritual companion. We share this, we share that, we share, we have fun together, we're great socially, we're doing well sexually, etc., etc. But I, I want, I want a friend spiritually too. I want a spiritual companion. That is not as frightening to a man. And it might be that you can start very simply in the morning at breakfast time and he can say to you, what are you doing today? And you can tell him, and he could say, okay, let me pray about that. Pray about you going to the doctors with the kid or going to this or 
facing that or writing a difficult letter to your mother or whatever. And then you can say to him, and what are you doing today? And he says, well, I've got this and I've got a very difficult situation at work. I've got to handle this person. I've got to fire him, da-da-da-da. Okay, and you can say, Lord, I pray for my husband. He's got a difficult situation today. Just like that, as simple as that. That's how you can start and become a spiritual companion. And you can begin a walk of spiritual intimacy together. So pray about it. Pray about your marriage. How is your prayer life? The deeper your prayer life, the better your marriage. This is Telling the Truth, and you're listening to a message by Joel Briscoe. She'll be right back to answer some questions you probably have about this topic. But first, whether you're already married or plan to get married someday, you'll want to know how to build a marriage that's not only long-lasting, but also joy-filled. That's why we'd love to send you Joel Briscoe's four-message series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, as thanks for your gift of support this month. In it, Jill shares timeless truth on marriage from the Bible, along with practical day-to-day advice from her own marriage to Stuart. You'll find that Jill's wit and wisdom make this series a fun and encouraging listen that's sure to encourage you at whatever stage of marriage you find yourself. And as extra thanks for your gift, we'll also send you a beautifully printed Bible verse about marriage to encourage you each day. Through your generous gift today, you'll help more people experience abundant life in Christ through the unchanging truth of God's Word as you make it possible for Telling the Truth broadcasts like this one to continue going out across the globe. So be sure to request your copy of Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work when you give a gift today. Call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, let's sit down with Jill as she answers an important question about today's message. Jill, in what ways can a wife be a spiritual companion for her husband? Um, in prayer, it used to be an old-fashioned saying, the family that stays together, prays together, or prays together, stays together. Um, I don't know if that's altogether true. Other things have to be in place. You have to be doing other things to stay together. But prayer is a place that enhances your marriage. Prayer is somewhere you go. It's the waiting room. And God is waiting there for you to wait with him. How could it not? How could it not bless a couple for a man and a woman to walk into the presence of God, the very throne room of God, beneath the praise of angels? Think about this. How could that not enhance their relationship with each other? To be together in the presence of God I, I, and to indulge in this dialogue, this divine dialogue of listening to God and speaking to him in the presence of the person that you love. You tell me how that's not going to enhance your marriage. And yet couples struggle with the very basic idea of praying together. And uh, I, I would plea to the men, your wife is looking for a spiritual companion. That's what I've been talking about in this message. And what, a, what an amazing thing it would be for her to have you join her in that throne room day by day. And for Stuart and me, it has been in prayer that we have seen our marriage blossom more than anything else. 
And especially if you've got different opinions about something, pray about it together and talk to the Lord about it and seek the scriptures together about it. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And in his presence, there is wisdom. And in his presence, there is peace. So how would that not enhance your marriage? And in what way am I a spiritual companion for my husband? This has been my main focus of growing our love and relationship spiritually is together in prayer before we go to sleep, together in prayer, our waking thoughts as we wake up if we happen to be together. And whenever we're together, there isn't a day goes by when we are not in the throne room together. And without doubt, that has been one of the benchmarks of our marriage uh, and of the growingness of our marriage. Thank you, Jill. We hope today's message encouraged you. Before we go, remember that when you give today to help keep telling the truth broadcasts like this one going out around the world, we'll send you eight things that make a marriage work. Jill's four-message series, all about how you can build a strong, fulfilling marriage that stands the test of time. So call now to give and remember to request eight things that make a marriage work along with the Bible verse print on marriage with our thanks. 1-800-889-5388. 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Thanks so much for being here today. Join us again for more powerful truth from God's word. Listen in and experience life next time on Telling the Truth.